Hello, and welcome to Listed, a podcast about people, money, and power on the Forbes list. I'm your co-host, Maggie McGrath. And I'm the other co-host, Abe Brown. And today, we will be talking about the Forbes 400. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight. It's our first episode, Abe. We made it. We did. Many Google Docs later. And a couple of failed pilots of other pods along the way. We're sitting here in the Forbes headquarters, and we are ready to bring you the stories of the most important people in the world, the richest people in the world, the celebrities, the billionaires. The athletes. The athletes. Uh, We could go on. We could list them for a very long time. But I think we should say who we are. Everyone, I'm Maggie McGrath. I'm the editor of Forbes Women. So that means I edit all of our women's focused content for the website and think about how we are portraying the world's most powerful women. And I'm Abe Brown. I'm a senior editor of Forbes. Uh, I edit across Forbes magazine, and I also edit the long reads that go on the website. They're good long reads. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you. I know. The compliment for me is rare, so treasure it it deeply. It it is super rare. And in the six years that I've known you? Yes, my sixth Forbes anniversary was just the other week. Oh, congrats. Thank you. Congrats, congrats. You're you're going up on seven. I'm coming up on eight. (gasps) I always lose track. Yes, I'm going to hit eight here shortly. So that's like a century in dog years, right? They'd be ready to put us down about now. But we're just getting started with this pod. We are. And I think we are on this pod more so than almost anyone else because between the two of us and those collective century of dog years of experience, we've worked on just about every list that this company puts out. How many have you worked on? I can't actually count them. I know it's the Just 100, it's Power Women, it's the Celebrity 100, it's 30 Under 30 especially. What about you? Well, I worked on the 30 Under 30 with you. You were in charge of me, which I know you enjoyed. It was so fun. I have worked on... Pretty much all of what we call the wealth lists, which are the list of the world's richest people. And the one that really sticks out in my mind is what we're here to talk about, the Forbes 400. That was, incidentally, in 2013, my very first day of work. Everyone was working on closing the Forbes 400 that year. The office was a little chaotic, but you understand that chaos perhaps better than anyone. So why don't you explain it to our audience? (laughs) Well, I worked on the Forbes 400 directly. I still work on it every year, but I was on the team that predominantly puts it together. I worked on that team for three to four years. It is months of labor, of researching and reporting on the wealthiest and the most powerful people in America. It is probably the longest ongoing investigative project in business journalism, if not in journalism in general. We've been doing it since 1982. And there's a very real reason we do it. We are not page six and we're not gossips. We report on wealth because there is a very important need to understand who controls the world's greatest fortunes, America's greatest fortunes, because with great money comes great power. And responsibility. And and responsibility, which some of these people from time to time shirk. And it's important for someone to be putting a spotlight on who's got the money to understand who's wielding the influence. It's a job we take very seriously, too, because I think in addition to holding power, responsibility and celebrating success, our lists are a reflection of what's happening in society. I I find it really interesting to see the ways in which it demonstrates the gender pay gap and the racial pay gap. We have the Celebrity 100, which is just a case study for you see men at the top. You don't see a lot of black women. You see a few more black men. But 
it's in real time showing the disparities that exist in society. And then because we've been doing this for decades, you can go back and see how the needle has moved or in some cases, like the pay gaps that I have discussed, not moved. So let's get into it. Abe, can you introduce our guest? Because you and her have worked closely together for many years. (laughs) I would love to. Uh, She's my friend, mentor, and former boss. She's got Warren Buffett on speed dial. It's Louisa Kroll. Louisa, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank you, Maggie. You've been very, very busy recently, so we really appreciate you taking the time. Yes, I am. But you've caught up on some sleep, right? No, not really. Not yet. (laughs) We're speaking in code, I think. Can you explain to everyone what you do and why you are so sleep deprived? Well, for the past couple of months, I I co-edit the Forbes 400, uh, which is the Forbes flagship list of the richest Americans. And uh, we've been doing this since 1982. So you would think it would get easier and you would think that we'd get faster at it. But, but no. But it no, no, it <laughs> doesn't happen because every year we begin anew. Every year we look at 600, 700 Americans mm-hmm. uh, to come up with the wealthiest 400. Uh, and quite frankly, we start afresh every time. Every time we try and get better, we try and get new information, we try and find new people. Uh, and uh, we have a big team. Forbes is really dedicated to giving us the the staffing that we need and the time that we need and the money that we need to do it right. But This is my first real reporting gig was working for you on this project. It's a lot of people's first reporting gigs, and it's kind of like a boot camp. And, uh, you know, that's why. Yeah, our, you are kind of the, the sergeant slaughter of the newsroom. <laughs> I am. And I feel like I get meaner as we get into <laughs> the late nights. And I don't mean it, but it's a, it's a pressure cooker. Um, <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. And somebody always orders amazing dinners for us to eat and keep us fueled until the midnight other, one or two. But the other thing that always happens is one of the Forbes Runner members dies in the middle of when we're finishing the list. Actually, that didn't happen this year. David Koch, who's one of the wealth, was one of the wealthiest Americans. Yeah, he managed to croak a few weeks before. And I'm sure his death is going to come up again on this episode because it does impact this year's list. Uh, it was, I think it was a week or so before. But whatever it was, it didn't actually mess up us going to press, which thank you, David Koch. All right. So... I really want to know something, Louisa. Who was the very first billionaire you ever valued? Ever? And then that's some Forbes jargon. By value, we mean report on them, estimate their fortune. Who was the first one you covered like that? Well, so the way that it works is my first year doing any valuations was in 1997. And I was assigned the British billionaires and the South African billionaires. Mm -hmm. So that included Richard Branson. Mm -hmm. It included Nicky Oppenheim. Actually, back then it was his father. Um, The diamond magnate. Yes. And uh, Johann Rupert of Richemont, who has uh, Cartier. Yes, he's a character. I got to meet him as well. Yep. Uh, So that was my first batch. And I always love to tell the story about how uh, when I was doing the Oppenheimers, I found out that they owned a game park in South Africa. 
So I reached out to some game park experts and got some information on how to value a zebra versus a lion, et cetera. And I spent all of this time, and I was so proud of myself. And then I realized that it was basically $10 million, so not even a rounding error. So I always tell that story to young reporters and say, it's a lot of fun, and if you want to go down that rabbit hole, go ahead, but it's not going to make a difference. Focus on the big stuff. Louisa, you definitely forced me to value random farmland in Nevada. I remember that. I'm I sure that they have. were worth more than $10 million. Yeah, the <laughs> land land is worth a lot, but I've, I've valued thoroughbred racehorses. I've covered the yes. Triple Crown a few years in a row, and I was trying to prove that someone in Europe was a billionaire because of their horse holdings, but it really it comes out to it's the land and more so than yeah, anything horses else. Horses are, in essence, a collectible Definitely. anyway, right? Definitely. And American Pharaoh is probably a bit more than a collectible, but yeah. Louisa, let's kick this off. Who is on the top of the list? Uh, this year, it is Jeff Bezos for the second time. He's worth $114 billion. And that's even after his yes. divorce. Yes. He, he gave away... Uh, Billions and billions and 25%, billions. 25%, I think, of, the, of his yeah, stake. 25% yeah. of his shares in Amazon went to his now ex-wife, Mackenzie Bezos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she is in the top 20 for the first time. And she's actually a, a pretty incredible person. Um, but Jeff still being down that much, he's still number one ahead of Bill Gates, though they're much closer. We're actually, speaking of Mackenzie, that is going to be our second episode. We have the reporter behind that story, Noah, joining us, and we're going to hear everything that was left on the cutting room room floor. Which he insists could fill fill volumes. Yes. But moving on from the Bezoses. So Bezos, then Bill Gates, and then... Warren Buffett. Buffett. It's very hard to change that the the top people at the list. Yeah, I can, I can, How long has it been those three at the top? Well, Bezos is different Bezos because is he's free fairly. Yeah, I mean, every now and then you do have new people breaking through. Bezos, you know, in in recent memory, is one of them. Um, Balmer made it into the top ten for the first time in a number of years. That's Steve Balmer. He was a uh, Harvard classmate of Bill Gates and was one of mm-hmm. the earliest employees mm-hmm. of Microsoft and ended up running the the company for many years. And the interesting thing is, is that he held on to more of his Microsoft shares than Gates. And since Microsoft stock's been doing very well, he moved into the top 10 for the first time in well, a long Well, we did time. lose one of the members of the top 10. Yes. Coke. Yes. Um, David Koch passed away. He had been uh, diagnosed with cancer many, many years ago, and he'd not been healthy for a while. And his wife, uh, Julia Koch, or his widow, uh, is in the top 20. She actually isn't in the top 10, but, you know, Before she went to her and the kids? Yes, exactly. And uh, she's actually the richest newcomer. She's wealthier than Mackenzie Bezos. So, And then rounding it out is Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, who despite all the bad headlines, his fortune is actually up this year. Yeah. He's worth uh, nearly $70 billion, And then Larry Ellison of Oracle is at $65 billion. So because I am the editor of Forbes Women, I do want to shine a light on the women in this list. Um, in the upper ranks of the Forbes 400. In the teens, you have women like Alice Walton and Jacqueline Mars who have inherited their fortunes from the family business, a.k.a. Mars Candy and Walmart. 
it takes a little bit longer to see names like Lumber Titan Diane Hendricks or eBay and HP's Meg Whitman or Little Caesars Marianne Illich. So what we're seeing here through the Forbes 400 is an entrenched power dynamic and a history of inequity rather than uh, an editorial bias because this is a quantitative list. Right, Louisa? No, of course not. There's no bias here. The facts are what the facts are. And believe me, with two women editing this list, we redouble our efforts all the time. And quite frankly, there's nothing I like doing more than finding a self-made woman to put in the ranks. It's just uh, because of the size of these fortunes. And I think the fact that, you know, a lot of these fortunes have started you know, 10, 20 years ago um, and have been built up over time, uh, we're still waiting for a lot more women to break into these ranks. There are cases, there are stories of incredibly successful women. Uh, There are a couple of women who were hired and created fortunes big enough, and that includes— Well, Safra Katz is a billionaire. She's not in the Forbes 400 right, yet. Right. She's the Oracle CEO. She's co-CEO, but the her fellow co-CEO just stepped yep. down. Um, but Larry Ellison, who is one of the richest Americans, uh, had given her that position. And, you know, she's a billionaire. But, no, I was thinking of Meg Whitman, who right. um, had bounced around from Procter & Gamble and Disney. And she was hired by Piero Midyar. Uh, when eBay was a tiny company and she really turned it into the juggernaut it was. Um, and that turned her into a billionaire. A plus, 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 plus eBayer. Yep. And hopefully we'll be seeing more, you know, women breaking you into the ranks. You actually make a really good point that our audience may not fully understand or realize. Being a billionaire does not guarantee your placement on the Forbes 400. It is literally the top No, four. you have to have multi-billions. So what's the cutoff this year? So the cutoff this year is $2.1 billion. Uh, there were 221 Americans who were too poor to make the cut. Too poor for the rich list. <laughs> it's really, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, when, when, I, when the list started, um, it was many years before you that a billion was the... Was the cutoff? Well, even through the last through two thousand and seven, you, you, you I had, think that was around the time that we crossed over. You had to be a billionaire after, to make it. Yep. Now you have to be a multi billionaire, which says yep. a lot about how the stock market is. It's shot really, it's, up in the past ten years. Well, it's actually so interesting how much this list mirrors what's going on in the economy. Uh, last year, the minimum net worth was two point one billion. So we it's flat this year. And so, um, you know, there's lots of stories about the rich getting richer and the rich definitely are getting richer. And you have new people breaking in all the time. Um, but even they are not immune to kind of these um, volatile markets and, you know, overall uh, flat market of the past year. All right, Louisa, there are a lot of familiar names at the top of the list. Who are the newcomers this year? One of my favorites for this year is a private equity billionaire. His name is Orlando Bravo. Uh, He's kind of the hottest dealmaker on Wall Street right now. But what I love about this is that he is the first billionaire that was born in Puerto Rico uh, to make the list. Oh, cool. So it's it's a great story. Um, and he's out in San Francisco doing deals. He basically uh, buys software companies and makes them more profitable. 
Um, but, you know, he really has been starting to do a lot back home in Puerto Rico and is pretty passionate about it. And it's just a terrific story. How you, much is he worth? Three billion dollars. Another newcomer is Anthony Wood of Roku, uh, which is basically kind of the backbone uh, for, you know, digital, um, you know, you the Roku. It's a streaming it. device. Yes. Thank you. Um, so he, his stock has been on fire this past year. That's another way that people make it into the ranks is when you have a public company uh, that uh, where the stock actually does super well. And, you know, on the day that we locked in the prices, he was worth, you know, plenty to make the list. Uh, he's still worth plenty to make the list, but his stock has been very volatile. It actually dropped some after we, you know, locked in the prices. I haven't seen it today, but it just kind of shows... Uh, how up and down some of these fortunes are. Is there anyone especially memorable who dropped off this year's list, Louisa? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is actually somebody who's not on the Forbes 400 this year. Mm -hmm. He fell off, but I have to mention him because he's by far the weirdest. Abe was with me when I I met him for the first time. Yes. So uh, Abe is wiggling his pinky because because, uh, we call him the pinky handshake guy. So I I have this joke. It's actually, I'm not even sure if it's a joke and if I should be saying it because someone's going to steal my idea. But I always uh, tell the team about how one day when I'm old and retired, I'm going to write a book on the craziest billionaires and that uh, one of my chapters is going to be called The Pinky Handshake. And I'm going to dedicate it to Nick Caparella, who is the owner of uh, LaCroix. And basically, the very first time we met him, he insisted that I go because he didn't want to just meet the reporters without me. And uh, it was kind of weird because he'd looked up my history and he knew about, you know, what my husband did for work. He's in gun control. And uh, he, you know, he knew personal details about me. But when we showed up, he did not shake our hands. Mm -mm. He insisted on shaking our pinkies. Mm -hmm. And then he proceeded to tell us everything was off the record, so we can't tell you all the more interesting details that were in the room. And you can only imagine how interesting they are because they're more interesting than the pinky handshake. Well, maybe the pinky handshake was actually a pinky swear that you wouldn't tell anything that he said in the room. Well, that uh, that's, no, I think it was germaphobe, but uh, <laughs> yeah. who knows? I'm not sure. But then at the end, when we were leaving, he hugged me, which made me incredibly uncomfortable. It was the strangest thing. I still love, yeah, I don't love think to I, tell that story. I don't think I've ever been hugged by a billionaire. No, you, you and Jen got the, there was another woman with us. You guys both got the pinky handshake. And I was trying to figure out what I did to deserve anyway. So that was definitely a, a bizarre experience. All right, Lou, I want to ask you to indulge us. Okay. <laughs> oh, you, you look you look scared, but I promise it'll be fun. <laughs> uh, this is our first episode, and we want to inaugurate our segments, and these will hopefully be fun fun little fun little bits. Uh, let's do the first one. Where we're going, we don't need roads. It's the Wayback Machine. Okay. What, what What's that? <laughs> Tell me more. The Wayback Machine is our excuse to mine through the Forbes archives. We are a 102-year-old publication, and we have most of those issues somewhere in this building. I know exactly where they are. Okay, Abe knows exactly where they are because he's our resident historian. Yes, me and the Morlocks. 
And he's holding in his hands what I suspect to be the first issue of the Forbes 400. It seems only fitting with our first episode devoting it to the Forbes 400 to begin where it all started in 19. Well, I suppose it starts in 1981, but the first issue is in 1982. And Maggie, who's on the cover? Oh, God, I Take a guess. I can't. I can't guess. even. Guess. I embarrass myself. So Every can time. I guess? Louisa, and I actually you know the answer. No. no, I don't. No, I Louisa don't can make a more educated guess than I. I, I wasn't even born in 1982. I'm pretty sure we didn't put people on the cover for many years, right? We just did the Forbes 400. Am I right? Uh, yes, this was a trick question, Maggie. <laughs> the The first issue of the Forbes 400 is an elegant guest list. Oh, that's right. With all the names. I just want to describe this for our audience. Picture a magazine cover outlined in gold, gold Forbes logo on the front. And then in very tight script, line by line by line, are the names of the 400 richest people in America. Uh, I love looking back at this issue because there are some there are some real throwbacks here. Uh, Yoko Ono is on this list. Uh, Bob (laughs) Hope. Crazy. I know. Bob Hope. Uh, do you guys know the story about what happens after he goes on the list, right? No. He he gets he, he's mad that he's on the list, and he starts putting into his stand-up. You know, he can't understand why Forbes is doing this. He you know we become we become a we become a punchline, and the standing joke is he'll kiss our ass if uh if if he's actually worth that much, and then the following year the reporter writes a story and proves out that. Bob Hope is worth exactly how much we say he is. But at that point, the list has already climbed in value and he doesn't actually make the list. But, uh, you know, the our parting shot is we're waiting, Mr. Hope. That is a good <laughs> kicker to a story. Well, I want to move on to what I think is my favorite segment. It's the Robinson Crusoe Award. If you were stranded on a deserted island with a member of the 2019 Forbes 400, who would you choose to be stranded with? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, first of all, you know that I spend way too much time doing this. So my idea of being stranded on a deserted island would be with probably none of them. (laughs) (laughs) However... Uh, if I had to choose, sure, I'll go with somebody like Sheryl Sandberg. You know, I, you know, there there are definitely some um, some other people on the list that it might be fun. But you know, she's somebody that refuses to generally get on the phone and talk to me, and she has been uh, a very vocal supporter of women. So if I had to spend you know a long weekend or a couple weeks with someone. Uh, and I think she's about my age, maybe a little younger. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, so that would probably be my top pick. That's a good pick. Abe, who would you be stranded with? I'm going to go for a classic choice, Bill Gates. I started watching that Netflix doc. And oh, yeah. It, it, it is. It, I've heard it's great. It, I can't wait to watch it. The doc is great. Bill Gates is, uh, firstly, he might get us off the desert island in it, it, quickly by designing some kind of, like, Palm-based helicopter, but he he just seems like a very I, I actually have to say human I, being. I, I did interview him uh, number I said of next years to him ago. At a urinal once. Okay, that is too much information, <laughs> but thank you. Um, but I think I wouldn't want to be stranded with him because I, he's one of the only people that would probably make me feel insecure about how smart I am. He was so smart when I spoke to him. He we were talking about a. Uh, 
teaching and, you know, he was, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, donating a lot to education at the time when we were kind of talking about things that could be done. And uh, he does kind of blow, I I do think he's the smartest billionaire that I've spoken with. That's a hell of, that's a hell of a title. That's a compliment. I've been thinking about this. And I was actually debating it with a few people in the office, and one person, I will leave out their name, suggested choosing Donald Trump because if he is on a deserted island, he is not in the White House. Oh, that's a great idea, but I would not want to—I'm not sure. I, I, I just don't think I could do that. I don't think I could either, <laughs> to yeah, be honest. Like, I'm, I'm patriotic, but, like, it has its limits. Um, I would pick Oprah which is probably an obvious choice, but I would love, I know she's talked a lot about her life story, but I feel like the conversations yeah. would be great, but I also want to get I, all of her interview tips. I, I, yeah, I, I, I've actually met Oprah. She's she is so successful. She's, again, you know, I, I, I think that, um, yeah, I'm not sure she would want to be stranded with a Forbes reporter. If, <laughs> if that's the right way to say it, I'm not sure that she would... Um, and you get a coconut. And you get a coconut. <laughs> and exactly. you get a coconut. I mean, maybe yeah. we should amend this question as to in like an ideal world and they're not resenting me for my Forbes reporter status. <laughs> exactly. That, then that might change it. All right, Louisa, I'm going to give you a pinky handshake for the road. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, it's time for a segment that I refuse to pronounce. Well, let me do it. It's last but not least. I'm rolling my eyes. I can see it from here. Yes, you are. Well, our audience can't see it. But anyway, last but not least is our attempt to give some love to other lists. I don't like to navel gaze too much. So this is our chance to just see what other lists are out there and sparking our interest. All right, Abe, what list do you love? Well, I've got a list about booze. It is a list of the world's most expensive cocktails, and it's from uh, a magazine called The Drinks Business. I think they know what they're talking about, and this is certainly a list that only a Forbes 400 member could enjoy. Yes. All right, I'm just going to give you three, two, one. The third most expensive cocktail in the world is called the Winston. It is made at Club 23 in Melbourne. It costs $12,000 and includes a 200-year-old cognac uh, coming in. At number two is one called Diamonds Are Forever. It's a martini at the Ritz-Carlton in Tokyo. It costs $18,000. And I believe, I'm sorry, I'm just staggered by the by this. I think it actually comes with a diamond. Uh, and at Wait, no- how many carrots? One carrot. I'll take it. <laughs> Diamonds are a girl's best friend, right, Mags? It's my birthstone. <laughs> and at number one, the Ruby Rose at the White Barn Inn in Maine, of all places, it costs $40,000. And it is vodka, elderflower, cordial, and it is topped off with a four-carat ruby. Oh, interesting. You can get, well, it makes sense. You can get a bigger ruby than you can diamond. My mom would be thrilled. Ruby, <laughs> ruby is her birthstone. Well, I think, uh, I think we should definitely take a trip up and uh, expend some ruby roses. Steve Forbes, I hope you're listening. I'm eager to take that trip. Steve, we'll meet you up there. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you again to Louisa Kroll for joining us in spite of her sleep deprivation. We hope she is already in bed. And if she's not, she's writing her tell-all memoir as we speak. I hope the world's richest are trembling. 
If you want our podcast on your list of podcasts, please be sure to subscribe and also rate and review because reviews are how we rise in the podcast rankings and we want to be number one. Please join us next week. I'm really excited for the conversation. We're going to have reporter Noah Kirsch in studio talking about the story he did on Mackenzie Bezos. She's new to the Forbes 400 and pretty secretive, so he has some details that haven't really been publicized. I'm Maggie McGrath, editor of Forbes Women. And I'm Abe Brown, senior editor of Forbes. Listed as a spoke media production. Kieran Meadows records with us in studio, and our producer is Reva Goldberg. Our theme song is composed and performed by Will Short. Our production team is Caroline Hamilton, Tyler Norris, Janielle Kastner, and Keith Reynolds at Spoke Media. And thanks to Travis Collins, Kyle Kramer, Randall Lane, Laurel Moglin, and Dario Furotan here at Forbes. Bye! See you next week! Could you be natural? No, get I can't. Your, get your shit together. No, Chandler. Um, Are you Monica? I guess I'm Monica. Wait, just... did, you, did, I, did I get a good character? Yes. Okay, good. Love Chandler. Good. But you're not like Chandler. You're more like Ross. Okay, let's go. We gotta get back. <laughs>